the old renaissance is the new renaissance standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction this is the harlem brewing company uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste a sound and a feeling that can only be described in one way harlem style so come and take a trip on the a train with our harlem sugar hill golden ale and our harlem renaissance whip beer the neighborhood original sponsored by harlem beer distributing north carolina for more information log on to their website at harlembeernc.com the greater raleigh sports alliance is proud to support the sixth box to row countdown to kick off and we're excited to welcome head coaches from area colleges and universities to the capital city we look forward to another fantastic season of hbcu football filled with great games rivalries pageantry, and unforgettable fall Saturdays. The Greater Raleigh Sports Alliance works with local partners to grow the sporting event industry in our area. The GRSA has an extensive track record of securing and hosting successful tournaments and championships, resulting in significant economic impact for the region and an enhanced quality of life for our residents. In 2022, Raleigh was named Sports Travel Best Host City. To learn more, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at RaleighNC Sports. Best of luck to all area HBCU football programs this season. On December 27th, 1892, Livingstone and Biddle College, now known as Johnson C. Smith University, played in Salisbury, North Carolina with Biddle winning 5-0. Over time, HBCU football has evolved. HBCU football's popularity continues to rise. Millions attend games each year and millions more watch on television. The HBCU bands provide some of the top entertainment in the country. Over that time, some of the best players to ever play in the National Football League played at HBCUs. Every Monday through Friday on the HBCU Football Daily Podcast, national radio and television host Donald Ware takes a look at what's happening in HBCU football and talks with coaches, players, administrators, and media about the season. Make sure you join the conversation on social media now. Here's your host, Donald Ware. This is the HBCU Football Daily Podcast for today, Tuesday, August 29th. I'm Donald Ware. And look, week one, we've already had the opening week, so uh, we're just uh, Thursday night. There, There's quite a few games on Thursday night, and one of the interesting things, and we'll get to this a little bit later in the week, are there, is that there are a lot of key matchups for week one in HBCU football. Generally speaking, you would have seen a lot of the so-called money games in week one, but there are some intriguing matchups, a couple of which... Uh, specifically in the SWAC, will already have respective division implications. So we'll talk a little bit more about that on tomorrow when we start to transition to week one. Of course, it is Takeaway Tuesday here on the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. We're going to start things off this way prior to getting to some of my takeaways. The HBCU National Player of the Week is Jason Brown, the quarterback from Jackson State, connected on 26 of 30 passes, 356 yards, three touchdowns, did not throw an interception in the ball game. 26 of 30 passes connected a punt. That is uh, in at that's what about 87 percent in terms of 
the passes that he connected on, and uh, he had a whale of a football game, and uh, part of some of my takeaways have to do with that football game, and specifically with Jackson State and South Carolina State. So let me start with takeaway number one. Moving forward for South Carolina State, it's going to have to get better play from the quarterback position. On the Monday morning conference call, uh, Buddy Pugh, the head coach, definitely concerned about the quarterback play. And I talked about this on the podcast on yesterday in terms of Corey Fields. As Corey Fields go goes, so do the Bulldogs in terms of wins and losses throughout the course of his career. Uh, in 30 games in which he's played, 17 wins, now 14 losses, but coming into the game against Jackson State, he was 17 wins and 13 losses. And check this out. In those 17 wins, because for his career, he's right around a 49%, has right around a 49% completion rate over the course of his career. In the victories, he's completing 51% of his passes, close to 189 yards passing per game, 31 touchdowns to just five interceptions. And of course, one of those wins was the victory in 2021 by South Carolina State over Jackson State in the Celebration Bowl. In the losses, he's completing just 46% of his passes, uh, right at about 165 yards per game. 16 touchdowns to 23 interceptions. So clearly, as he goes, so do the Bulldogs. I think a bit of the issue um, is that he's got a low completion percentage anyway. Now, maybe part of this for this particular game because he's been with the program. This is his fifth year in the program. So maybe part of that was because he was coming off the injury from the latter half of the season. We'll see uh, how that plays out uh, and we'll talk there's another one of my my takeaways I'll talk about a little bit momentarily but I mean if you're a Bulldogs fan you got to be concerned about the quarterback play I think the running back play um, is more than or the running backs I think are more than sufficient I think that's going to be certainly a key for South Carolina State this upcoming season Um, but but again you've got to get Uh, Because, I mean, if I look at Jaron Howell, um, he had 48 yards rushing and, uh, you know, South Carolina State rushed for a respectable 137 yards in the game against Jackson State. Number my number two takeaway, and this is really for both teams, and I'll start with Jackson State. You come, you know, out of the fire a bit, although they came out of the they were able to put the fire out uh, pretty much with ease if you look at. South Carolina State being the fire, but they step into the oven on Sunday against Florida A&M. Now, uh, you look at the fact that Florida A&M has been picked to win the Eastern Division. And, uh, you know, this Orange Blossom Classic, which again is going to be played in on Sunday in Miami Gardens. Big football game going back to the 2021 season. It was like a 7-6 to six affair with Jackson State winning that game. And that said, that game determined the Eastern Division. Same thing last year. It was a blowout with Jackson State winning. And that game determined the Eastern Division. 
is this the year that Florida A&M can get over the hump? But if you're Jackson State, you've got some tape. You've played a game. Your tape looks good. Florida A&M has not played a game as of yet. But if you're Jackson State, you want to capitalize on what you were able to do uh, in the victory over South Carolina State. That's to be a good football game. It, sh- it more than likely is going to be the HBCU National Game of the Week. And if it is, I'll give you the preview of that game on Friday. Takeaway number three, similarly for South Carolina State, out of the fire, into the oven, got to play UNC Charlotte. So South Carolina State is playing up. But it wasn't only the uh, offense or the quarterback play for South Carolina State in the loss against uh, Jackson State. And a lot of times you can... You could say, well, if the if the you know if the, if the offense is 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 lethargic and not able to get a whole lot done, maybe that affects the defense. Well, no, the defense wasn't good for South Carolina State either in this football game. Gave up, you know, as I mentioned, 356 yards passing. And this is generally a good uh, defense overall under Buddy Pugh, and, and especially uh, in the secondary. Little to no pass rush. Um, Jason Brown had a lot of time to throw the football. Thus, that's why 26 of 30, think about that. He completed 26 of 30 passes. So between now, meaning Monday to Saturday, South Carolina State's going to have to figure out something in terms of being able, because Charlotte's going to be able to put up some points. They're going to have a good offense and South Carolina State's going to have to figure out a way of how to slow down Charlotte and this Charlotte offense. And they've only got a couple of days to do so because Jackson State absolutely carved up that South Carolina State defense. Takeaway number four, Buddy Pugh's retirement. A little bit more about that on the conference call today. I had it or, or on, on uh, Monday, uh, as it were, I had a chance to talk uh, with Coach Pugh and ask him about, you know, the timing and uh, was this something he had thought about for quite some time? Um, in terms of the retirement and making the decision to make that announcement then. But I also asked him um, about, you know, and I talked about this on Box to Row this past weekend. You're, you're coming in as the head coach in 2020. Yeah, you're an alum. You played under the legendary Willie Jeffers, but you're trying to follow a legend coming in. So I asked him, you know, a little bit about that. And was it difficult following uh, someone, not only following a legend in Willie Jeffries, but then Willie Jeffries is still around, right? Does a lot. I mean, he does a lot of uh, fundraising uh, still for South Carolina State. And he's an alum of South Carolina State, meaning Willie Jeffries in himself. So he definitely said there was some pressure. Um, but again, did a fine job, multiple MEAC championships, multiple HBCU national championships. Um, But then the other thing I asked Coach Pugh was, was this, you know, he had, you know, what, five or six years at the University of South Carolina um, as as an assistant coach um, there. And, you know, I asked him, did he feel somewhat, uh, did he ever have aspirations to be an FBS coach, and if so, uh, because he's getting ready to retire, would he have felt slighted for not having the opportunity to be an FBS coach? And he said, really, not at all. I mean, 
you know, he definitely, in, he, in one of the things he also pointed to was that he got a bit of a late start and he really referenced this, which I've been, you know, something that, that definitely plays a factor is age. You know, he was a, a, a high school coach for 15 years. So once you do that, you know, that takes some years off of the possibility of stepping up perhaps to an FBS level. He said he would have entered, he may have entertained, um, some conversation. He didn't say he would necessarily have taken a job, but he would have entertained some conversation as possibly being an FBS coach had that uh, opportunity ever come around. But as he mentioned, you know, by the time, you know, he had gotten rolling at South Carolina state, you know, he had a little bit of age on him, you know what I mean? So, uh, but you know, definitely uh legendary career for buddy pew, uh, takeaway number five, again, from, uh, the MEAC coaches call, uh, Lee Hall, uh, back in the MEAC, well, not back in the MEAC. He was already at Howard as an assistant coach, but I guess back in the MEAC as a head coach, he's at Delaware state. And one of the things that he mentioned, because if you remember when he left Morgan state, it was because he was hired as an assistant coach, I believe for wide receivers with the Indianapolis Colts. And what he said was, he realized in his time in Indianapolis that he was in fact a college coach. And I asked him about that. I said, well, did you, you know, was this something you, you know, coming up, maybe dreamed about being an NFL coach uh, one day, but coming to the realization, as you mentioned, or as he mentioned uh, that, um, that he just wasn't, uh, he, he was a college coach. And he said, yeah, he definitely dreamt about being an NFL coach, but having that, NFL experience he just realized he was a college coach had been you know with Howard for some some time after Indianapolis and now is the head coach at Delaware State and remember what he was able to do at Morgan in his first year uh, Morgan claimed a share of the MEAC title and ended up being the representative uh, for the MEAC in the FCS playoffs that year so with the five-way tie they, they had to break the tie and Morgan held the tiebreaker, uh, you know, held the tiebreaker and so ultimately represented the MEAC in the FCS playoffs. So those are a couple of takeaways uh, that I had from uh, the opening week uh, and the pressers with respect to HBCU football. Don't forget to tell a couple of friends about the HBCU football daily podcast where you can watch on the Box to Row YouTube channel. Uh, you can also find us uh, whether you want to download this podcast and, and, and podcast from the past as well. The podcasts go all the way back to 2017 when we first started. You can download or listen to those podcasts uh, on our website at BoxToRow.com. You can also listen uh, and download at iHeartMedia.com. Talk with you tomorrow. We hope you enjoy this episode of the HBCU Football Daily Podcast. You can watch on our YouTube page on YouTube at HBCU Football Daily Podcast. Don't forget to get your HBCU football fix on Box to Row with Donald Ware each weekend on a radio station near you and on Sirius XM on the HBCU channel, channel 142, and on ESPNU Radio on Sirius XM, channel 84. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest in HBCU football. And don't forget to tell a friend.